You're listening to The Author's Leverage. You've written a book, you got it published, and you know you can make a much bigger impact with it than you already have. Maybe you're in the process of writing and publishing and want to be smart about how you help others and make more money while doing it. Welcome to The Author's Leverage Podcast, your guide to building a profitable business and changing more lives with your published work. This is the number one show that brings you tips on making you a more successful author from the very best experts around every week. Our mission is to help you blast through the noise and get you clear on your path to success as an author. You'll be equipped with practical tips and insights from host Parshel Tashi and her featured guests. And you'll leave each episode more excited, more confident to get that dream authorship life that you deserve. So sit back, relax, and get ready we're about to get real. We're about to clear. And from here, the sky's the limit. Here's your host, a former school teacher turned creative media entrepreneur and now founder of The Author's Leverage, Parshel Tashi. Hey, welcome to The Author's Leverage podcast. This is Parshel Tashi, and I'm really excited to have with me on the podcast a great friend and amazing author who's going to join me today. And we are talking about love, connection. Uh, it's really needed today, but we're also going to talk about how that's infused into writing as a means to really create change and transformation in the world. So I'm excited today to have Loading Champion on the show with us today. She's a transformational leader who specializes in leadership development, team building, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. She's a Six Sigma black belt and draws on her extensive background in leadership process improvement, communication and education to strengthen leaders and build agile teams. She's the author of the amazing novel, Salmon Croquettes. I should have brought my copy with me today. And keynote speaker, she discusses issues related to diversity and inclusion and is exceptionally engaging, funny and passionate. Glodine pulls from her upbringing and the influence of her mother her first authentic leader to create stories that connect with her audience. Her approach to delicate subjects is with honesty, authenticity, and vulnerability. And she is a master at challenging and captivating audiences of all kinds in a way that forces them to take pause and listen from the heart, something, something she believes we need more of if we want to make the world a better place. So join me in welcoming Ms. Glodine Champion to the show. Hello. Thank Yay. you for having me. Yes, 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 yes. And um, I'm a huge fan as well of her book, Samuel Coquette. So just to make the plug at the beginning of this conversation, it is a powerful read. And I think for anyone who's looking in their organization to have the conversation around race, di there you go, race, <laughs> diversity, inclusion, all those things, uh, that is an amazing book to reference uh, as well. So just wanted to give that quick shout out. The link to Samar Coquettes is below this as well, so go check it out. Glodine, Thank thanks you. for being here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey um, to this point. Uh, just give us a snapshot of your journey into this space as a leadership developer and, and world changer as you are. <laughs> First, I want to say I made a workshop, a workbook for my novel for people to use in spaces to create those conversations. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know any other way to say this than to say, than to say um, that this is what you call divine order. I didn't, I didn't necessarily seek it out, and I didn't necessarily plan it. I just 
through experiences and um, people that I've met was led to this work. Um, I would say specifically in the wake of George Floyd's murder and me not knowing what was going on in the world because I wasn't on social media and I don't watch the news for obvious reasons. Um, I didn't know that, well, I didn't know what had happened to George Floyd. And I found out about him and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey all in the same weekend. And so I asked the universe what I could do because I felt like I normally like him down. I know what's going on in the black community. I have a voice, I use it on social media. Um, but I had started to notice like, um, anyway, I don't wanna go down that path. I asked what I could do and the answer came back love. And so what started out with me just doing random acts of kindness and telling people I love them turned into this self-love journey because I really understand that people cannot love. I don't care what you think you do, you cannot love someone else if you don't truly love yourself. And not in a self-care kind of way, but in a in the mirror, raw bones, naked, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, because you can lie to everybody, but you can't lie to yourself. Mm -hmm. So I had to go through that so that I could do this work and be, um, I feel like we take words and make them say them so much they don't have any meaning. Uh, so when I say authentic, I mean more raw, right? I, I feel like if you're authentic, I read this great article in the New York Times Magazine um, about Whoopi Goldberg. And she said, she said something to the extent of you, you are authentic when you basically, when you create havoc and not havoc, but when you make people uncomfortable, right? When you're mm. speaking your truth and you're not willing to dumb yourself down or, or silence your voice to make people comfortable. And so here I am. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. And, and I've, I've read Sam and Croquettes and really, I feel like got to get a taste of that and what you want to share and put out in the world. So I'm curious uh, from that perspective, when you were writing the book was the application of it for diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations. Was that in your mind while you were creating no. writing the book? Um, two things were in my mind and one came after the other. The first thing in my mind was I was in, I was going to college. I was 36. Everybody else was 18, but I was going to college with these really cute gay girls and they would be out in Butch at, at home or at school rather. But then if they had asked me to take them home, they changed clothes or like their parent parents came to visit, um, they changed clothes or like at graduation, the girls that I knew that were like outwardly gay were like completely different. And I was like, what the? And it's because we, we have such a stigma around sexuality in this society. And it's such nonsense. Really, when you boil it down, the only reason that you have a problem with me being gay or bisexual or trans is because you're thinking about what I'm doing behind closed doors, which ain't none of your business anyway. <laughs> but my sexuality doesn't, that's not on my forehead. You know, I don't walk around saying that. So I thought to myself, I wonder if people would get over themselves if they had to go through the experience of a child trying to figure herself out who doesn't, and I wanted to make sure that she didn't have any of the trappings of the stereotypes 
especially the black stereotypes, right? That would excuse why she's that way. No, she's mm -hmm. that way because she grew up in a single family home or she's that way because she lived in the hood and they're poor. So I gave her two parents and I gave her father a lot of money and he could still be like a famous singer, but he chose to stop being in entertainment to be home with his, with his daughter and his wife. I put them in a, in a community that cared about each other back in the day when, when it was like that African proverb, right? It takes a village. Everybody took, looked out for each other. So all the, all the um, trappings, if you will, that Zayla lived in, lived in, I wanted to make sure that no one could look at any part of her life and go, that's why she's trying to figure it out. Mm. And then I thought, you know, I want people to also see how parents behave. Because all my gay friends, I noticed that their same-sex parent was a complete jerk to them, right? If it was a guy, then his father just basically disowned him. And if it was a girl, the mother just made her life miserable. So as hard as it was for me to write the Zora character, the mother, because my mother was far from that, um, I wanted people, I wanted to kind of turn a mirror and have people, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> to look at at their behavior and take responsibility for how they're how they're treating how they're treating their own it's okay their own children you know mm -hmm. yeah it's it's so true and you know honestly if writing the book uh was was well you know a challenge or difficult to I shouldn't say difficult but just all the the the, the aspects that went into it. Um, also made it difficult for me to read. <laughs> I think I told you, I was like, yeah. you said, How, what, do you, what do you think of the book? How's it going? I said, uh, I need a minute <laughs> because this was, for me, it was touching so close to home and kind of presenting even for myself, like, um, you know, as a gay black woman, all of the, you know, issues and challenges that were there, even though the setting itself was what it was set in the 60s. 60s yeah. Set in Chicago. Is it Chicago? LA. It's LA. LA. LA, LA Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a diverse family, a black family. It was a lot of things that really, really hit home. And, you know, and like you said, I, you, you approached it from a perspective of, I'm not going to give anyone a reason to, you know, say that this is why this, this person is this way, you know, right. and and really made a powerful story of it. So, um, so for me, it was definitely transformational. I would say, um, in that respect, because it really just allowed me to see myself in this character. So, for those who are tuning in, um, can you give them just a synopsis of what Salmon Croquettes is about? I will give you my elevator pitch. It's okay. Um, it's a coming of age story about a young girl, 12 year old Zayla Lucille McKinney, who's struggling with her sexuality while growing up in a racially uh, charged Watts, Los Angeles in 1965, because it's also historical fiction about the Watts riots, which is the second thing that I was focused on in writing. I lived in Watts in the eighties and the community that I lived in is the community that I put Zayla in. Uh, the circle right off of 103rd and um, Central Avenue. Uh, it was important to me because the Watts riots were the most misrepresented of the racial uprisings in this country. And the media had people thinking that because it was the hottest day of summer, Black people just went crazy. 
which because you know California, the 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 myth is that California is post racial, but California is just covert with the racism, right? Mm. So they they couched what was happening in Watts as if the police or restrictive covenants or um, housing, you know, just abject racism, systemic racism wasn't the cause of the uprising. Uh, so I wanted to set the record straight. And I thought, again, if it's experienced through the eyes of a child that's going through it, because the first two arrests that were made in Watts, the night of the riots, were two 12-year-old girls. I almost had Zayla and her friend Cynthia be those two those two little girls. And I didn't want to take the story in a, in a different direction. Yeah, yeah. But I did want people to see how Black people, how the community came together and, and why they tore up the neighborhood like they did. Because for me, even writing the story, I didn't understand racial uprisings. It used to piss me off that we would tear up our community. Why don't we go tear up somebody else's community? Why are we always destroying our own community? And then, you know, nobody's going to come behind us and rebuild it. Uh, but but doing the research for, for the book helped me understand it in a way that was like, okay, I get it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I get it. And there, there's there, and there's so many, like you said, so many instances and stories and um, I, I guess just, like you said, there's racial charges that are kind of built in the book that really bring to head conversations that need to be had. And so what I love about the, your book in particular is how you've been able to utilize it in your business because you're you're a consultant you you're a yeah. coach you're a transformational uh leader companies from all over the world hit you up to come in and train and support their teams and now <laughs> I just, I, no i say that because go ahead i'll tell you in a second so but i, I was going to say that uh in particular you know this is a fiction book yeah and and it's being used also in in the space of leadership and the space that right. usually nonfiction books usually come in to serve. And this is a fiction book coming in to do that. And so can you talk a little bit too about how you have been using that in your work as a, you know, as a consultant, a small business owner? Well, I will say it's become a little bit of a challenge mm -hmm. because you know that my whole message is about love and diversity, yeah. right? And so I have been meeting with with people who, for lack of a better way of saying it, um, aren't really ready to have a real conversation mm -hmm. about the racial divide in this country. And mm -hmm. I think it's because a, tr a real racial divide is happening in the undercurrent of our country present day in this moment. And, and, and people who are, um, you know, being profitable, if you will, aren't willing to rock the boat and, and make their maybe potential clients or customers uncomfortable by saying, we're not going to do business with, with you if you are, you know, if you support X or whatever that, whatever mm -hmm. that distinction needs to be. So I'm finding it now a little more challenging to get people to have a real conversation in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially where my story is concerned, because that means the focus has to be on blackness. And um, in the in the last week, I've had um, 
three different companies that I was that I was meeting with, uh, I always ask like, you know, what what is your what what sparked the idea to um, start this DEI initiative in your organization? And they will give me all sorts of you know what I call filler, right? It's the check the box language. But my, in my mind, any company that started DEI in the wake of George Floyd means that you're trying to support and and make room for black voices and black equity in your organization. And if you're telling me that that's not the focal point of the of why you're doing this, then we're just back to the way we've been doing it mm. for the last 30, 40 years, right? So white women benefit and maybe other people of color benefit, but black people still wind up being the less likely to um, benefit. And if they, if they get a lead position in this space, then they don't get a budget to go along with it. You know, there's always the parameters that make it hard to do this work. So um, I'm having to re redefine how I want to approach this. And, and I'm thinking that maybe just having team building and creating conversations where people have to cross culturally, um, figure out how to communicate and connect with one another would be another way to bring this conversation in. But I think just trying to hit it head on right now, I'm literally in the last couple of months, this hasn't been an ongoing thing, mm -hmm. but in the last couple of months, this has been uh, what I've, what I've been met with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when we, when we opened up, you know, you said that uh, you have a workshop series that, you know, is connected to the book and, yeah. you know, you're doing a lot of the work that is bridging the gap, which is really powerful. And your ultimate goal in all of that is love. Yeah. And, so can you paint a picture, you know, for what you see the future would look like <laughs> uh, with with love at the, the center of it, um, where stories like Zayla's are embraced and, you know, really seen for what it is and some aspect of change can come from it. Like what yeah. what do you envision with that when it comes to, you know, love and community in our world? Well, um, I'll tell you this thing really fast. The other day, I was in the grocery store. You know, I live in Monterey, Monterey, California. For anybody who who doesn't know, Monterey is the happiest place in my mind, the coolest place on earth because people have people come here with positive energy. So the last place that I would expect to have this thing that I'm about to tell you happen is here in Monterey. But I was in the grocery store last week. I was at one end of the aisle and there was a white woman at the other end of the aisle and her shopping cart was in the center of the aisle and her purse was in her shopping cart. I've done this a million times. I've walked to another aisle and left my purse. You don't think about it because Monterey is safe. She saw me coming down the aisle and made a beeline to her shopping cart and she's very exaggerated in a very exaggerated way, tucked her purse under her shoulder and wedged herself between the shopping cart and the shelf. And in my approach to her, this happened to me before in Marin, but I was a lot younger and I didn't know what to do with it. And I actually left the grocery store in tears and cried for the rest of the day because it broke my heart that somebody would do that. In this moment, because I am intentionally moving through the world with love, because I feel like the best way to teach love is to be the love you want to see in the world. So rather than come at her in a negative way, right? 
my first thought isn't always that somebody's being racist, although that was very clear. It was, it was <laughs> clear what was happening. I thought, you know what? Center yourself, bring yourself to center, and then, and then move forward. So I, when I got closer to her, I said hello, asked her how she was doing, and then, and, and at that point, I was trying to just because she looked terrified. Like, come on, I'm six feet tall, but really, what am I gonna do to you? Um, but when I was able to like make eye contact with her, I said, do we know each other? And she said, she shook her head and said, no, I don't think so. And I said, so what about me made you think that your purse and your person were potentially in harm's way? And when she couldn't answer me, then I know, I knew, but I feel like the best way for us to exhibit, to, to express love is to not jump to the conclusion of anything. Mm. To choose kindness and uh, to choose kindness and question, right? If you're not sure why somebody's doing something, don't make the assumption and let them off the hook. Ask them. But there's a way that you ask the question so that it puts it on them to tell you what they're doing. Because if they're if they are if they do mean ill will, they won't be able to answer you, and then you get to hold on to your power. You get mm. to keep your sanity in that moment, um, so that you can be loving and kind to the next person but also teach the person that just did that to you a very valuable lesson. So as I was walking away from her, oh, I said to her, when she couldn't answer me, I said, contrary to popular belief, not all black people are out to hurt you. And I was walking away, but I'm, in my head, I was still in the moment with her. And I saw this white man coming down the aisle, smiling, and I was like, oh Lord, are we getting ready to have a Karen moment? And I looked, <laughs> I looked at him and he said, Claudine, is that you? And I, I looked at it and it was somebody, a CEO that I coached last year who was having mm -hmm. some issues with his leadership team. And we saw each other because we've been on Zoom for the last two years, right? It's the first time I saw him in person. We had one of those from here to eternity moments where we like ran to each other <laughs> and he kissed my cheek. And then he turned to the woman and said, honey, remember the coach I was working with last year? This is her. The woman who now is not wedged behind her shopping cart and the shelf anymore. She's moved around, but she's she, and she's put her purse in her in the basket. But she's also now got this look on her face because now she's trying to process. I think that she was not only trying to process what was happening in front of her, but she was also thinking about what she did. And so mm -hmm. again, I could have I could have come at her in a way that would have been argumentative, and I would have lost the loving opportunity to help her see herself, right? Mm. So by asking her the question, keeping my cool, being the love that I want to be in the world, her husband showed me so much love that I am sure that she had to process all of that. And, and because when I saw the connection, I started laughing, he asked me what was so funny. And I said, you got to ask your wife. But I <laughs> laughed for the whole time I was in the store. And I got an email from him the next day apologizing and he said he would have he wanted to it took him an hour to write the email because he wanted to make an excuse for him for her but one of the things that i taught him was to hold himself and other people accountable when they're not showing up the way they should show up right for the greater good so i know that was a long answer but i feel like love needs to be love in action love needs to be kindness and patience and a curiosity for even when people are behaving badly, a curiosity for why they why they're doing it, 
Because, you know, if you ask the right person the right question the right way on the right day, you might get an answer that opens up a conversation that can help transform both people in the conversation. Mm. So, man, that's my wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a writer and a storyteller, you, that's just where you had to go, which I love. So <laughs> that's so fitting for sure. And, you know, it, it, and that's so powerful too. Just it's about love and action. And I think that story illustrates that so well. And if anyone uh, is listening, tuning into this conversation, I am going to recommend uh, connect with Glodine on social media, and you'll be you'll you'll see more love in action um, <laughs> because she's always uh, challenging herself and really being a true walker of what she talks in this space. And uh, I I just always admired that and appreciated that about uh, about you, and really want for others to to see that as well. And uh, man, we could talk for a long time because that's that's how we I do. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I want for uh, I want for people just to just to get just to hear that story again, you know, just to replay and hear it because I think that the more we can respond to each other in a loving way, you know, the better. And there's no better way really to address that and and those issues um, than with love. So thank you for sharing that and. Um, would love for you to share any parting words of advice as we start to wrap it up and where people can also touch base with you, um, connect with you online. Okay. So my advice to everyone is to lead with love. And again, it's a choice we get to make from day to day. I like to say, you know, based on Dr. King's quote about the content of our character, right? Character is something we get a choice to, to change and grow every single day. Um, and so I, I say lead with love no matter what's happening around you. And if, if you don't know what that means, then start by telling somebody. It, it's really, I think, leading with love means having unconditional love, which means you're willing to give something without getting something in return. And if you don't know what that looks like or feels like, then tell somebody you love them and don't expect them to say it back to you. Because I think that's where it starts, right? So many people say, I love you because they want to hear it back. So just mm -hmm. be able to say, I love you to somebody and don't care if you get it back or not. Actually, don't expect it back. I know that's right. Well, I love you. <laughs> I love you back and I can't hey, help I got it back. back. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's amazing. Um, and and where, where can people get in touch with you? Learn more about uh, it. Well, the... the the easiest way is love at glodeenchampion.com. You can go to my website, glodeenchampion.com, or I'm on Facebook, um, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all under Glodeen Champion. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I usually ask all the guests that come on here, if I remember most times, but I ask, what is your, your one word? If there's one word you could leave the planet with, what would that be? And I think we probably know what that is at this point so no point in asking but <laughs> but uh no thank you and thank you for uh you know sharing your work with salmon Kex. i know it helped me a lot uh really gave me such perspective uh for myself and i know for a lot of people as well um who have picked it up read it and will read it in the future um because there's so much that's there and i think again just opens the door for conversation and for change so thank you thank you Thank you for being here on the on the podcast as well. And I highly recommend uh, for those listening, just connect with Glodine, 
see what she's up to. And uh, who knows? You guys might run into each other at the grocery store and be like, <laughs> hey, I know who to be. Okay. <laughs> you never know. I do meet people in the strangest places. Because <laughs> she'll get on the road, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, great. Well, thanks for everybody Thank tuning in today as well. Thanks, Lodi, for being here. Thank you for having uh, me. Yeah, I I love this conversation. And thank you all for tuning in. Um, We get to have really amazing conversations here, as you can see. And um, it's always a pleasure to connect with authors and people who are looking to make a difference in the world. So if that's you and you are interested and really wanted to brainstorm, brainstorm through that and see what more could I do with my book? That's what we're here for at the Author's Leverage. So if we can ever support you in any way, uh, we're not. You can find us. We're online, uh, theauthorsleverage.com. And thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.